Uh, I don't know what fish vomit smells like, but I'm fairly sure that I wouldn't want to be covered with it. If the outside of a fish that is past its best is anything to go by, being drenched in its insides would not seem to me to be a, a happy set of coincidences. It says something about how strange this little book of Jonah is, that it is good news that Jonah finds himself washed up on a beach and covered with fish sick. And I wonder what you find the most amazing thing about this story. Maybe it's that the Lord would call a relatively insignificant person from a definitely insignificant place and send him as a messenger to a hub of power in a foreign empire. This is a story of a little man from a little place, uh, actually just near Nazareth in northern Israel, being sent to what God calls the great city of Nineveh, near modern-day Mosul in Iraq. That's quite amazing. It is amazing in a different way that Jonah would run away. He found a port and set sail in the opposite direction. It's amazing that God commanded the wind and the waves to bring about a storm that forced Jonah to face up to his rebellion. It's amazing that Jonah chose to go into the sea rather than turn back where he came from. It's amazing that the Lord provided an enormous fish to swallow Jonah and to carry him up from the depths and back to the shore. It's amazing and a little bit disgusting that the fish... Well, verse 10 of chapter 2, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. But as we pick up this story today in chapter 3, there is what I find the most amazing thing so far in this story. It is Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I think that's stunning. I think that's more amazing even than Jonah's miraculous rescue. In fact, you could say that compared to this, the big fish is small fry. I'm sorry about those jokes. I'm sorry. I've been trying. I've been trying them. I know they're getting worse. I should stop. Unlike Jonah, I don't want to go overboard. But the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And that's where I want to begin this lunchtime with the first of two points to pick up uh, is this, the Lord offers second chances. The Lord offers second chances. Uh, People carry all sorts of misunderstandings about God with them. Uh, For many of them, if they consider God at all, they view him as some distant being who sets impossible challenges and then waits with some gleeful anticipation for us to disappoint him by failing to meet them. We wonder maybe whether he just feels good about himself when we can't quite reach up to where he is. I was with a group here on Monday evening for the Life Explored course that we're running as a church. Uh, There was a group of people investigating the Christian faith and we were looking at the fall of humankind from Genesis chapter 3, where it all went wrong. Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit. And the general consensus around our table at the start of the discussion was that God wants to trick people into doing bad things so he can blame them for what happens next. To them, he's almost like a a traffic warden 
just waiting for somebody to put one wheel on a double yellow line or just to outstay his three hours by three minutes. And there's God waiting with a ticket and a £60 fine. It's what I call the Mr. Darcy misunderstanding. Uh, You know Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Uh, The dashing Mr. Darcy is talking with potential love interest Elizabeth Bennet about his flaws, which are both pride and prejudice. And he says, my good opinion once lost is lost forever. And I fear that many of us have a similar view of God. We're expected to earn or to maintain his good opinion, but his good opinion once lost is lost forever. So God comes across to us as, well, unattractive and even cruel or heartless sometimes. That is a significant misunderstanding of the character of God. And Jonah is one of the Bible's great testaments to what God is really like, to who God really is. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And consider how many times already this story could have ended. The first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, he'd run away. And that's not just being late for a job interview. That's trying to sell your competitor's products. You'd expect Jonah to be down at the job center straight away, no longer working as a prophet. But no, the Lord pursues him. The Lord goes to quite some lengths, actually, to bring him into faithful service. God could have left him on the boat, could have left him in the sea, could have left him at whatever ferry port the fish delivered him to. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because the God of the Bible is the God of second chances and third and fourth. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect before he starts working in our lives. He'd be waiting a long time if that were true of me. And he doesn't stop working in our lives as soon as we make one bad decision, because he'd have done that for me many times. Rather, he calls people who are imperfect, not the finished article, people on a journey. And in his mercy, he makes himself more known to them, and he puts them to work for him. I cringe at some of the clumsy and the hurtful things that I have said to people when care and compassion were what was needed. And I feel the burden of the missed opportunities where it felt like the door was wide open to saying something about my Christian faith and quietly stepping back through the door and pulling it to behind me. And each time I think... I'm really no good at this Christian thing. Wouldn't it be better not to speak up? Wouldn't it better not to show up sometimes? But then I remember the gospel and how God, in his upside-down wisdom, he chooses to use weak things to show his strength. As the Apostle Paul put it, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If you're a Christian here this lunchtime and you're seeking to serve God and to witness to him, there is great encouragement here. Often it's through our weakness and because of our dependence on God's strength that people can see his work in us and through us. Jonah's behavior, his choices, they're not a good example to copy. 
And I certainly don't want to encourage complacency or disobedience in responding to God's call on our lives. But I do want to see in Jonah just a little model of what the gospel can look like. It is the Lord in patience and in forbearance working with stubborn and hard-hearted people. He's fulfilling his purposes. And it's remarkable. It is amazing that he uses us to do it. What could be a better qualification for speaking of the God of second chances than knowing those second chances given to us first? So the Lord offers second chances, but there is a second and there's an equally important message here in this chapter. The Lord requires urgent responses. The Lord requires urgent responses. Jonah is sent to Nineveh and this time he goes. So from verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In thinking about the patience and the mercy of God, we can't miss that the backdrop to these events is a stark warning about coming judgment. Jonah was told in chapter 1 verse 2 that Nineveh's wickedness had come up before him. The king characterises their behaviour as evil ways and violence in verse 8 here. The Ninevites and the people of Assyria more generally, they were known for their violence, their oppression, their brutality. And God says it matters to him that evil is going unchecked. He wants to restrain their hand of violence. And if they don't turn from their evil ways, he warns that they will face consequences for their actions. Evil is evil. God is good. And so in his world, he won't tolerate violence and oppression forever. But Old Testament prophecy is proclamation of God's word to affect a response in those listening. Prophecy doesn't just describe human history. It's intended as God's way of moving people to respond to his word to change the course of human history. So the Lord says to Jeremiah, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. The Lord is sovereign over all the peoples and the nations of the world, and in his sovereignty, he decides to relent from sending disaster on those who repent of doing evil. Jonah, as we know, there was a reluctant prophet. He eventually goes on this mission, but he's still far from enthusiastic. Look again at at verse 4 there. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And here, I want to compare this short sermon summary that we get from Jonah with another sermon summary. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, we're introduced to the ministry of Jesus. And there, the first words that we hear from Jesus in public proclamation uh, are these, Mark 1, 14 to 15. Uh, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
repent and believe the good news. And Nineveh, we're told in Jonah 3, is a three days journey across. And that detail is telling because Jonah began going a day's journey into the city. And I think we're meant to see some slowness and reluctance there. If Jonah had been sent to London, he wouldn't have made a beeline for Oxford Circus or for Trafalgar Square. He'd be in Enfield or Uxbridge or Caterham or Upminster. He'd have made it just beyond the M25, but he'd have been happy to wander in slowly on the outskirts of the city. If he's got a megaphone to preach his message, he's whispering into it through gritted teeth. He's not proclaiming it. His heart's not in it because his heart's not for the people of Nineveh. And there's no urgency to his message. 40 more days is Old Testament speak for quite a long time. Jonah seems to be saying, you'll be judged eventually. Either he's hoping that the people of Nineveh will complacently postpone their repentance long enough for God to bring about the judgment that he's warned of, or he's simply having a dig at what he perceives as God's slowness to act against the oppression of the Ninevites. Either way, it's not an urgent message that he seems to be bringing to them. And it's not a long message either. His sermon is only five words long in the Hebrew. Now, of course, it's fair to speculate that this is a summary and there were lots of other things that he said and he preached besides. Uh, Maybe, but any summary is notable for what it emphasises and for what it misses out. And here it's clear that Jonah would rather declare judgment than declare the name of the Lord. God is the gospel. And it is telling that Jonah has nothing to say about him in his message. Interesting that we know the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And yet he doesn't begin, as many of the prophets do, by saying, thus says the Lord. And it's also telling that he speaks of judgment and not of grace. I've read a lot of books, I've heard a lot of sermons in Jonah, and many rightly point out that the message of God's judgment against sin is rarely spoken of in Christian pulpits. And the result is that many congregations don't hear of their need for salvation. That is a terrible thing. And I agree, and and judgment has been a big theme in these past few weeks as we've looked at the book of Jonah, because God's judgment is real and it matters. But we've got to be careful not to take the wrong lesson from Jonah's example here. I don't think we're meant to hear Jonah's five-word summary and conclude that this is a good and sound and thorough presentation of what God would have to say to the Ninevites or indeed to us. Because in the context, it's clear that Jonah wants God to bring judgment on the Ninevites. Uh, We'll see that next week as we dip into chapter 4. He doesn't want God to act in mercy towards them. And there's nothing in this message that's inconsistent with those aims. His sermon is missing something vital then. It's short on God and it's short on grace. It doesn't invite his hearers to respond and it doesn't tell them who to respond to. Now, I don't know if Jesus had Jonah in mind as he began his ministry. I don't know if Mark had Jonah in mind as he summarised Jesus' message. But the contrast is clear on every point. Jesus travelled widely. He got his word out. Jesus proclaimed news about God. And in fact, he said, in him, 
The kingdom of God had come near. It was close at hand. The time had come, Jesus said. It was urgent. Repent and believe that there was a call to action, not only to turn away from sin, but to turn towards him in obedience and faith. And notice that word that comes twice in those verses, the good news Jesus speaks of. The good news, the gospel. It's the good news of God. The good news of God come to rescue and to save. The gospel comes with a call away from sin, but it comes with a call towards God in the person of Jesus. He came with better news than the news that Jesus went to the Ninevites with. And yet, and yet, well, we started with some amazing things in the book of Jonah. Here's one more amazing thing. Isn't it amazing how the Ninevites respond to what they heard? Because verse five, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And this news spread all the way up to the palace And so when the king heard about it, he issued a proclamation too. Uh, He, uh, well, he took off his royal robes in verse six. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat down in the dust and then he decreed that all the others would do the same. In fact, not just people, but the animals as well. A fast for all the people and all the creatures. If you like, this is an over-the-top picture Uh, This is a larger-than-life picture of what turning away from sin might look like. The Ninevites didn't have much of a prophet, and they didn't hear much of a message, but they responded in a huge way as they turned from their sin, with sackcloth, with ashes, with sadness, with mourning, with fasting, not just for them, but for the animals too. And I think that leaves us with a challenge. Because it leaves us with a challenge of wondering how we respond to the Lord as he speaks. Jesus, we've been saying these past few weeks, spoke of himself as he compared himself with Jonah. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 12. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. As Jesus often did, he's making a how much more argument The Ninevites there, they didn't have much of a prophet, they didn't hear much of a message, but they responded in a big way to the word of God. Jonah's saying, he came as one greater than, uh, Jesus is saying he came as one greater than Jonah. He came as one who spoke a greater message, one who lived a greater life. And in his resurrection, in coming out of the grave three days later, Well, he did something far greater than Jonah did in coming out of the fish. It's a how much more argument for those who have heard that greater teaching of the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus, who had seen that greater sign of the resurrection of the Son of God. Those who had heard that clearer call to repent and to believe the good news 
of grace in Jesus. So as we look at the Ninevites and as we see their transformation, it poses a challenge to us today. We who have heard more and seen more and know more. The question for us is, how will we respond to him and to his word? He is the Lord who offers second chances. But he is the Lord who requires urgent responses. And it would be good for us to take a lesson, not just from Jonah, but to take a lesson from the Ninevites in how they responded to what they had. How are we today going to respond to what we have heard and seen?